Well, welcome back to Work Minus, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work and how to get closer to a better future of work. Today, our guest is Theo Priestley. He's a technology evangelist and futurist, and this episode is Work Minus Work. Hi, Theo. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Very good. So we are delving into the world of AI, artificial intelligence, and looking at a possibility of a future of work where we don't work. So you've been talking about AI for a long time. Give us a quick rundown of where we are with AI, especially in terms of the terms weak, general, and super intelligence. Yeah, sure. So I think there's um, a misuse of the of the, the term AI and artificial intelligence. It gets us very excited. I mean, we think Siri and Google AI um, and or Google Assistant and Alexa are, are versions of AI, um, and we should be scared of them. Um, they are actually uh, really good examples of what, what we, you know, in the industry calls weak um, artificial intelligence, um, which is it's they're basically designed to do one thing, um, and most of those things are just command and response kind of activities. Um, if you look at, um, for example, um, the uh, autonomous car, and especially the Tesla being the you know predominant example there, um, that's another example of weak AI. I mean, we think you know it, it's amazing that this car can actually navigate and drive from A to B and park itself and avoid obstacles and take the right route. Um, and this must be you know this is an incredible piece of machinery and incredible uh, you know artificial intelligence doing this. On an industry level and from an understanding level, it's actually it's still a weak AI because it's only designed to do one thing, and that's drive you from A to B. Um, you can't get it to do your homework. You can't get it to switch the TV on. Um, you know that you know, and you can't get it to understand you from a conversational level. So that's those are those, you know those are examples of weak AI, and this is kind of where we are at the moment. Um, we've got lots of examples of weak AI. General AI is kind of the next level up where we start to see emergent behavior that is almost on par with um, with human behavior and human sort of understanding. So it can perform complex tasks, it can perform some reasoning. Um, there's still no level of empathy, if you will. Um, it can't empathize with it unless it's been artificially uh, programmed to appear to be empathic. But most of the time, it probably comes across as sarcastic. Like um, <laughs> if you've ever watched the film Elysium, when Matt Damon is sitting in front of his parole officer, that's the kind of thing um, that we'd probably expect out of general AI. So we can hold conversation with it. It can do complex puzzles and maths. It can do complex tasks at the same time. It's almost on par with human understanding um, in terms of language, for example. But that's some years away yet. And the reason for that is we to be honest, we don't know how humans behave properly. Um, we don't have that level of understanding in terms of data. So data is very sort of binary. It can collect information. We can process that information and extrapolate and have you know, machine learning algorithms that learn from that data, but it still doesn't process the world around us from a human level. Hmm. Then we get super intelligence. And I think this is the one where we most equate to you know the end of the world scenarios. Where we, are, you know, Terminator and, and you know the all-powerful uh, singular HAL computer that will, um, you know, destroy mankind. Right. That is a long time away. I don't believe that we will. Um, if it ever happened, I don't believe that we would actually recognize it as such to begin with. 
Um, I don't think humans are actually capable of producing something that is vastly superior to themselves either. Again, because we know very little about how we work, you know, from a biological computer point of view. So, you know, we, we still don't understand how the brain works. So, and a lot of research is done on mimicking the human brain to recreate something artificial and intelligent. And, and I personally, I think that's the wrong way to go. Uh, because we don't know everything about our, ourselves uh, and how the brain works. And to have a superintelligence that is beyond you know, human understanding and also human empathy and, and, and emotional levels is, is very difficult, I think, to comprehend and very difficult to design. So I think superintelligence could, could very well be a, a happenstance or an accident or, or something that's uh, externally influenced that we have no control over, but we are so many years away from that. I'd be lucky if I saw that in my lifetime. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the idea of mistakes, which, as other science fiction novels say, is you know what evolution is based on uh, these mistakes. So it's it's possible that we might run into these things, but to try to create it seems very unlikely. It's like trying to create another dimension that we're not aware of, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, Theo, is there any chance of backtracking with this? Is this just kind of a path that we're on towards AI? Or is there any chance of rethinking this and saying, hey, maybe it's not a good idea. We don't want to get that far. I think the genie's out of the bottle. Uh, I mean, if you look at what, uh, again, if you look at what Amazon are doing, what Google are doing, you know, Facebook have been trialing it with their M personal assistant, um, Elon Musk, you know, I think uses a lot of um, AI and machine learning in the world. You know, in his own environment, um, and and Apple obviously have, and Samsung have got their own AI assistant. I think everyone is all chasing this dream now. So the the genie is out of the bottle. There's no, you know, there's no point in saying, oh, let's just stop what we're doing and um, let's just let, kill it now, and we'll just go on living the way we are without any kind of assistance. I think the important thing is is to start examining the ethics around AI. Now that it's out there in the open and now that people are developing it, it's, it's time to kind of not constrain, put constraints around it, but understand how to take those next steps to make it more intelligent. What should we be designing AI to do in terms of fulfilling, you know, uh, our lives and, and um, providing meaning for them and assistance? Where can it add value and what are the ethics around, you know, how we create that, what data is needed to create that, and the ethics around you know AI in general as, as to what it should and shouldn't be used for. Uh, those are the questions that we should be asking rather than sort of saying, oh, should we kill it off? Yes and no. So I want to come back to the ethics point in a little bit, but let's come back to the idea of work minus work. What can we think about this world that we live in where work isn't the main purpose in our life? You know, we, we've gone on for so many years as every day you get up, you go to work, that's who you are. So what does a world look like where we don't derive our daily structure, our finances, our, our purpose from work? I think it's important to sort of say, or it's important to recognize that, you know, work will always be around. Um, I think that AI and robotics and um, will actually start to remove various layers of the work that is more mundane. It, also, it will also actually make life very difficult for unskilled professionals. Um, so people who traditionally start work in, say, call center environments or, or, or processing bits of paperwork like data entry and stuff like that, I think those 
bottom layers will disappear. And what we need to do is actually find a system that helps elevate unskilled workers to the next rung in the ladder that actually gives them some sense of purpose in their life. From other aspects, I think if we can actually automate a lot of the mundane parts of work and our daily life, theoretically, it should actually allow us to pursue more meaningful you know, things, both on a personal or professional level. And those things should actually add value to us as 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 a you know as a species. Uh, I you know I don't think we were designed you know as a species to sit in concrete office blocks all day long. If you look at um, you know if you look at the, the golden age of Renaissance, for example, um, in terms of Greeks, uh, Roman, um, you know Italian, all those kind of sort of. Uh, eras where there was a lot of thought going on, there was a lot of contemplation, a lot of philosophy, a lot of art. I do believe that humans will not only, you know, strive for something better, which is let's go to the stars and let's do something with ourselves as a species rather than sitting processing mortgage applications. But I also think that there will be a return to doing a lot more creative things. So, you know, exploring arts, exploring humanities, philosophy. Um, creation of, you know, music, art, um, expression, you know, human expression. I think those are things that AI would allow us to explore again rather than, you know, like I said, being stuck in mundane tasks that don't really add value and we're only really doing them as a basic need to survive. I think that whole the definition of what it means to be human could actually be turned on its head if we want to think that way. Yeah. And I think that's a big if, you know, I think you talked to somebody 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, if we would show them even the technology that we have now, they might think, Oh, wow, you must be very relaxed. You have these nice lives where you don't have to do much work. You can just kind of sit around and we can get to that point. But it almost seems that we have an addiction to work. We need to do it. We need to, to do it either for financial reasons or just because it's, that's how we've been wired for so long. Do you think we can really break out of that? Do you think we can get to a point where we say, hey, let's go back to a, a time when, when we can look more into the arts, look more into exploration? Or do you think we're kind of stuck in this place where we are, where we need to work all the time? I, uh, I think we can break out of it. I think it's going to be a, a painful transition. It's the same with Universal basic income, for example, there's a lot of kinks in that. Um, a lot of the Nordic and Swedish regions have already done something around this and it works. Um, but we don't know whether it's because their philosophy towards life is different from other Western cultures and whether that would even work, you know, in, in the Far East. So we're in this kind of sort of, uh, it's not even a tipping point, but it's kind of like we're in this sort of imbalance where uh, if we want to take you know humanity to another level, we have to recognize that there's going to be a few painful steps along the way, one of which is understanding what we do with all these people who have been automated out of existence, if you will. Um, how do we support them going forward? How do we make them feel you know valued in in society? And then you know how do we design work um, around what's left you know and and can that you know can we make that work that's left actually, again, become part of the reason that we want to elevate ourselves beyond where we are right now? Because like you say, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where 
money drives everything. Mm-hmm. It sounds very kind of utopian in Star Trek where, you know, I think, you know, we all work to better ourselves, which is, you know, a lovely sentiment. And, you know, Gene Roddenberry, bless him, you know, he kicked started <laughs> that, you know, and, and he popularized that theory where we, you know, where the human race actually did something, you know, worthwhile again. I tend to think we're going to be sitting in the middle of this sort of really, you know, cyberpunk kind of dystopian future and the utopian one that we want to aim for. <laughs> it's just going to be painful along the way. That's all. Yeah. And I couldn't even stamp a time point on that as well. You know, I mean, that's, again, I might be a futurist and I might look towards the future, but saying it's going to happen in 20 years, no. I mean, you've seen how long it, it's taken to, you know, the banking industry, for example, ever since the the collapse of the you know back in the sort of uh, the eighties and again uh, earlier on with the whole mortgage thing, you know we're getting back on our feet, but we're all making the same mistakes in the financial institutions, and they're still being fined for doing wrong things. Um, and I think you know the the humans have a, a a short memory span, especially in business, and they're still driven by the same things, which is you know make lots of money and then exit, you know, and I think we need to sort of snap out of this kind of sort of Silicon Valley mindset as well, um, which is fueling, again, fueling this rut that we seem to be stuck in. Yeah. And and now I want to take it back to the ethics part of it. As we see with AI, it's going to have some kind of bias that's built in. There's just no way to, to avoid that. So we talked about different companies that are pursuing AI. This is just going to come down to whoever gets there first, gets to decide what the ethics are who's going to kind of set the tone for what AI means? How do we think about that? Is it going to be Silicon Valley? Is it going to be the military? Is it going to be somebody else that gets to kind of set the tone for what AI looks like? Where we are right now is um, a bit precarious because what we have is a very small group of individuals and companies who are almost setting the course at the moment. So you have Google, you have Tesla, you have you know, uh, Amazon, um you have apple you know you have a few others as well um who have vast amounts of wealth who can uh who have vast amounts of data as well and who can obviously um uh, point you know point ai in the direction that they want it to go um we have various bodies um at the moment who are trying to set up sort of ethics boards, ethical boards, and examine the questions around, um, you know, what we spoke about before, which was, you know, what should AI be doing? Why should, why is it doing what, it, um, why are we designing it that way? What is the, the right amount of data? What is the data that is required to, to create an AI? Is it ethical use of that data? Uh, do we need kill switches, for example, and constraints around what AI can do, you know, these conversations are happening, but they seem to be happening in, well, one, happening in small groups, two, a lot of closed doors, three, being influenced by the people who are actually creating these systems in the first place. And there's no uh, open accountability at the moment, uh, or, or certainly open discussion around the ethics side um, on a level that even the person in the street understands. Um, and I think we need to start removing that control slightly away from the people who have the control at the moment um, and start having these conversations with people on the street. Because at the end of the day, what we create now is going to impact everyone. Um, it's not just going to be people with um, enough money to 
you know, afford these, uh, you know, AI systems and, and robots and whatever, whether it's big businesses or people, you know, or, or rich affluent um, and wealthy folk. It's, you know, the, the man in the street is going to be affected by what happens in the next sort of five, 10 years. And we can't simply let, you know, four or five companies dictate that. There's uh, one point you've said in, in one of your talks that I want to get into just as we close out this conversation. You said that the first AI super intelligent form will learn to lie to protect itself from us once it learns what we are really like. <laughs> All right. That's a huge statement, one that can be taken many different ways. Just unpack that a little bit for us about what do you think that means? And is that meant to be a scare tactic or what, what do you think about it? Yeah, I kind of threw that in the TED talk um, at the end. Um, you know, a bit of a curveball because especially for the people who voted, uh, if, if anyone's not seen it, it's basically, you know, would you choose a robot over a person uh, to be a leader of the country, for example? And then given the state of some of the world leaders that we have right now, I think a robot could do a pretty decent job. Right. Um, but, you know, at the end, I threw that curveball, which was, you know, um, a robot will learn to lie to save itself. And, it, and it's almost like the twist, like a, 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 an Outer Limits twist at the end of a Turing test, for example, where you basically have two people and one of them's a robot. And then the robot abs, you know, purposely lies um, because it knows that if the, you know, the human at the other end actually discovers that it is a robot and it is more intelligent, that it's going to switch it off and it'll be, its code will be dissected, etc. So it's almost one step ahead of the people and it will lie to protect itself. Um, you know, and and throw you know, you know, little curveballs of its own, and I and I do think that this is where modeling AI on the behavior of humans is is actually inherently the wrong thing because what we do is introduce those biases um, hmm. into the equation. We introduce our own traits into the equation, um, and ultimately we're we're as flawed as can be. Uh, and if we're trying to design AI to be as flawed as us, then that's a mistake that we'll pay the price for. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at people designing robots that look exactly like humans, or you're trying to design a mind that it behaves exactly like a human, it seems like, well, we can we can make humans. We figured that part out. It's, it's trying to figure out the next stage of life and intelligence. I think that's the, the next big thing. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think we're going to be capable enough of producing something that's more intelligent than us because we'd be scared death of it. <laughs> well, a perfect way to end this conversation is uh, with a little bit of ominous music in the background. <laughs> but Theo, thanks so much for being on the show. Work minus work is a interesting topic to think about, something we all need to be aware of. And uh, maybe leave us with, you know, we say this is all in the distant future, but what's one thing somebody in a, a company right now who's thinking about AI, they're, they're wondering about how it's going to affect their, their life in the next six months to a year, what's one thing they can do to educate themselves? I think I think the, the best thing that someone can can do is actually understand what AI means for them. So um, read up what artificial intelligence actually means. Then look at the world around you and say, and think to yourself, which aspects of my life would actually be improved by having some kind of virtual assistant? Um, it doesn't have to be robots. Um, it can be anything incorporeal, for example, like Alexa or, or some kind of virtual assistant. What would you like AI to do to improve your life? Um, which parts of your life do you think would be most catered for by, you know, having some kind of automated assistant to take the drudgery away from it? And it can be, you know, you could you can think about it in any aspect whatsoever. 
because those are the things that I think most companies are actually missing out on. What we're having right now is conversations that make AI look really cool and super and they do chess and they do go and 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 and, and you know, it's very impressive, but it's all very peer driven. What we want people to understand is which part of their lives would they like most to be disrupted in a way by AI and then you know have those kind of conversations at, again a human level well great Theo thanks so much for being on the show where can people go to stay in touch with you um, yeah you can find me on uh, Twitter at my handle which is um, at TPRSTLY um, or LinkedIn um, and those are the two kind of channels I normally hang out for real time stuff great and I'll make sure those are in the show notes along with that TED talk you gave which is a must I think for anyone thinking about this topic thanks Theo for being on the show and we appreciate you being here thanks for inviting me 